Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Well, it's great to see you guys this morning. If you're joining us online, we are grateful. Question for you uh, Who here has lunch plans? You're going out to eat after church? Raise your hand. Raise a hand, anyone? Where are you going to eat lunch? Mofos. You just made me say mofo. At, at, uh, <laughs> wow. The first person that spoke last service also made it awkward for me. So this is good. Someone else, where are you going to eat lunch? Over there, yes? Your house? Your parents are good stewards. That's good stuff. That's good. Someone else going out to eat? One more person? Yes, where are you going? BJ's, can never go wrong, great menu there. Now let me ask you this, if you were to ask your seven-year-old child where they wanna go for lunch, what are they saying? 100% McDonald's, 100%. So Claire and I, a lot of times after church, uh, I'll uh, find Claire and be like, hey, what are we doing for lunch? Or something at the house we're eating? Or, or, or do you want me to grab something? And, and I'll say, hey, I'll grab something. So I have the little boys in the car, and it's like, and the last thing I really want is McDonald's, you know? And, uh, but the little boys, as we pass McDonald's, it becomes clear, we're either getting McDonald's or the next 10 minutes of my life's gonna be unpleasant. <laughs> like, they're all in on it. And, and, and kids love McDonald's. And in fact, I read a, a news story. Five years ago, there was this eight-year-old kid. His parents had gone to bed early. And he decides, I really need a McDonald's cheeseburger. He goes on YouTube, true story. This is, I, I, I did a little more research between services. I was like, is that a true story? It was in the, it legitimately in, in printed news, and which makes it potentially true. And so, uh, <laughs> parents are in bed, he goes on YouTube, learns, watches videos about how to drive, gets on a stool to where he can reach his dad's keys, gets his four-year-old little sister, gets in a minivan, drives a mile and a half, successfully gets to McDonald's. At the drive-through window, the, the person there believes that, th that there's a prank being pulled, like the, like the parents are in the back of the van, hey, let's put our kids up at the front, they'll think that our kids drove here. And, but it's just those kids, they call the police. The police come and, and the kids get their cheeseburger. It, they, it all worked together. <laughs> but the next few weeks, uh, next three weeks, we're gonna be in a series that we're calling Hungry. And today I wanna talk to you about your spiritual appetite. If you have your Bible, go over to Matthew chapter five. <laughs> Matthew chapter five, uh, Jesus in the most well-known, most uh, sermon of all time, um, Matthew five, six, Jesus says, blessed, that word makairos can be translated happy, but blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This idea of righteousness, it's this twofold piece of, of, that includes first and foremost things being right with me and God, but then there's also this sense of, of, of things on earth being as they are in heaven, things being right in the world, but it always begins with us individually and thirst for righteousness. Why? For they will be Filled. Handful of fascinating things about that statement. It was, the natural thing one would expect to read would be, blessed are those who are righteous. And, and, but the, the blessing here is for those who are 
hungry and thirsty. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases it, Matthew 5, 6 in the message. It says, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. Isn't that good? You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. And my question for us this morning is, how is your hunger? How is your appetite for God? Psalm 42, we see King David says it another way. He says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Now, with the people that are, 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 are talking here, the people that are writing here, Jesus and then King David here, we, we, both of them, when they talk hunger and thirst, they're talking different ways than the way that we talk about hunger and thirst. We think of, of hunger as, as I'm hungry any time my scheduled time of expected eating has been delayed more than 15 minutes. You're planning on having lunch at noon? It's 12.40 and you say, I'm I'm starving. And then your friend looks you up and down and says, are you? And then you're like, shut up, stinking hungry. It's, uh, but in the ancient world, I mean, it's that people knew what it was to actually really be hungry, to be in a situation where, where, where there was no access to food for, for periods of time. Famines would literally change the whole, the whole, people would literally move many, many miles simply to escape famines. This idea of hunger with a whole other level. In fact, when, when this Greek word used for hunger, it's it's not the kind of hunger that can be fixed with a snack or a regular meal. It's this type of hunger that speaks of someone literally starving for food, a desperate hunger, this idea of being famished. It's the same word that's used after Jesus' fasting and his temptation. He's been fasting for 40 days. And at the end of the 40 days, it says, and just the ultimate understatement, and Jesus was hungry. 40 days. It's this idea of this desperate type of hunger, and the word for thirst is the same idea, this idea of, of we live in a time where even the poorest among us rarely lack access to clean drinking water. When we say we're thirsty, we mean my throat is a little bit dry. We mean, oh, it's been 10 minutes since I had access to my desired drink. I, I'm feeling a little bit thirsty, but in the ancient world, there was no more precious resource than water. And, and so this idea of, of this thirst that's being spoken of, it, it's this idea of, of, of this incredible longing on the verge of dehydration, where, this idea where if I don't get food or if I don't get something to drink, I'm literally going to die. The type of hunger and thirst where in comparison to my need to eat or drink, literally nothing else matters. And my answer for us, my question for us today is, are we hungry to experience and know God more this year like that? 
Or do we have that sort of nothing matters more than, than me knowing and loving and experiencing God more this year, this idea of this desperate hunger, this desperate thirst? If we've been in church long enough, we, we know that the right answer to say is, well, yes, that's, that's where I'm at. But I, I'm not, I think for most of us, I don't know that most of us are hungry like that. I don't think I am. Let me ask you some diagnostic questions of, of all of the areas of my life, where does my spiritual life rank in areas I most desire growth? Again, if you've been in church long enough, you know the right answer say, oh, it's number one. Maybe some of you are a little more honest, say, well, maybe it's two or three, I've got this other pressing issue. And, and, and then the, my next question for you would be, what evidence is there in your life that that is true? What evidence is there in your life that you have this all-consuming hunger and thirst to know and love and experience God more this year? Do, a question to ask is, do I desire to experience and know God more this year than I did last year? Another question similar is, do I expect, am I walking with a sense of expectancy where I'm expecting God to do something fresh in my life this year? Let me ask you a question another way. Imagine that 2023 is the best year ever. And ask yourself this, if I make more money this year than ever, and my physical health is the best it's ever been, and I go on the best vacations of my life this year, if this year my kids are more pleasant to be around than they've ever been, and they are thriving in every area of their life. If this year I have sex with my spouse as much as the last two years combined, and we're both happy about it. I mean, imagine the best year ever. Imagine all of those things are true. Everything is awesome, except your relationship with God is stagnant. Is it still a great year for you? And my question, my answer would be, if all of those things are true, but, but my, uh, my relationship with God is stagnant, but I would still define that as an awesome year, it, what it means is I'm not hungry and thirsty for God the way Jesus is talking about. This desperation where, where in comparison to my desire to know God more and love God more and experience God more, nothing else matters. Are we hungry like that? This, these next few weeks, we're gonna be in this series we're calling Hungry, and we really want it to be more than just a series. We want it to be a 21-day spiritual journey that sets the tone for our year together as a church and each individually. And, and, and so we're gonna gather on, on Sunday mornings like we are today, and I wanna challenge you. If you're at all able, come live these next few weeks with a heart of expectancy for God to meet with us. So we're gonna gather on Sundays. We're gonna have uh, devotionals emailed out to you every day. So if you normally get the Life Church emails, then you'll get those. If you don't normally get the Life Church emails, you can scan that QR code there and make sure that you get those. And those will also be available at lifechurchreno.com. But leaders in our church are writing little daily devotionals going along with each theme 
for the week. And so I'd encourage you to begin your day each day with those devotionals. And then the next couple of Wednesday nights, uh, we're gonna gather here at six o'clock. We're gonna eat some great free tacos. And then at 6.30, uh, we're going to go into a time of worship and prayer, and I have a heart of expectancy of those next couple of Wednesdays. You won't want to miss those. But my next question for you is, what is suppressing my spiritual appetite? Have you ever been to a Brazilian churrascaria, a Brazilian steakhouse? Texas de Brazil, Foco de Chao, the, the new one I think it's called Churrasco downtown. The essence of a Brazilian steakhouse is it's really one of the greatest scams of all time. Because <laughs> the way it goes is, is the first thing that happens is, is, is you go down this incredible looking salad bar with all, all the things one could ever want on a salad bar. And then you go to your table and before they start bringing the meat around, there's these incredible rolls that are like this mysterious mix of amazing roll with cheese, these little cheesy rolls that, that you're like, is this, is, this, is this manna? Is this what, was, is this what that was? This is, this is like all that is right about cheese and all that is right about bread. And you know what I'm talking about, right? The little cheesy bread. And, and, and here's what they're banking on. They're banking on you filling up on salad because lettuce costs nothing. And they're banking on you filling up on those rolls. This has happened to me before. They're banking on you being like, this is the greatest roll I've ever had in my life. And, and, then, and then when they come around with that prime rib, you're like, oh, I'm, just give me a little piece. Because the bread is cheap and the salad is cheap and the meat is expensive. They're trying to fill you up on filler. And here's the thing, I think that happens to us spiritually where we end up getting filled up on stuff that, that long-term isn't gonna satisfy. In Luke chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus is having this encounter. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat in the feast of, in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus replied, I love it when people like tried to look spiritual for Jesus. He always sort of reversed it on them. Jesus replied, a certain man is preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Now in the ancient world, because so many people were, were poor and, and, and the idea of your, your best chance to have a great meal with some great food, some great, great drink was a wedding or a banquet. It would, those were gonna be the best opportunities and the whole town would come out. It was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Now what we have here is a totally um, unbelievable excuse. Jesus, the, the, he says, the, the, the guy says, I have bought a field, now I must go and see it. And so the next question is, so you bought a field sight unseen. This is before the internet. No one did that. Totally not believable excuse. It reminds me of a pastor friend of mine told me early in my ministry, he said, there's two things that are true. Here's, here it is. One is any reason is good enough if someone wants to do a thing. And he said, the opposite is also true. Any reason is good enough if someone does not want to do a thing. And so this guy's like, oh, I've got to go look at this field I just bought. Next thing. And then it says, uh, 
he says, uh, please excuse me. And then another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. So this guy says, you know what I'd rather do than go to this big giant party is I'd rather go plow a field with these brand new oxen I got. Again, not a good excuse. And then he says, um, still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Blaming stuff on your wife does work, so that's fair. And so uh, <laughs> the servant came back and reported this. Oh, I'd love to come, but my wife doesn't want it. I don't know. And uh, still another said, I just, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the, sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. And the master told his servant, go out on the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. And, and so what, what we see in the, these people here is we see that there are these things that are suppressing their appetite to engage in the kingdom. And so this one guy's like, hey, I just, I just, bought, the, I just bought this new thing. I want to go and kind of look at my great stuff I've got. This other person's like, hey, my business is expanding. I just got these new five oxen and I'm anxious to expand my business. The other person says, hey, I'm placing this relationship above my spiritual appetite to come and feast at this banquet. And my question for us is, what are the things that are reducing our spiritual appetites? Is it comfort? Is it security? Is it focusing on the temporary stuff in life that is good, or is it focusing on the temporary stuff in life that's not good, but these, these things that are reducing our spiritual appetite every, every night as, as we are preparing dinner? Our little guys will say, uh, how, how long until dinner? And then, because, because we're starving, and then we'll say, hey, it's like 30, 45 minutes, the dinner's gonna be ready, and then they say, can we please, please, please have a snack because I don't know if we can make it. <laughs> and then we're faced with this, and then we say, hey, if you eat this now, you're not gonna wanna eat your dinner, and then they promise, and double promise. <laughs> oh, let us have this, but we'll still for sure eat dinner, all of it, we promise. And then every time without fail, we are not looking for the next 45 minutes of our life to be terrible hearing about their starving selves and all right, have this. And then dinner comes and then literally they eat a third of it. Guys, we're full, we can't eat this. And then we're like, hey, remember back, we said that snack was gonna spoil your appetite for this actual good food. And, and then they're compelled by our logic and they never do it again. It's a, that's how, <laughs> but what am I filling up on that is numbing my hunger? John Piper put it this way. He said, the weakness of our hunger for God is not because he is unsavory, but because we keep ourselves stuffed with other things. We kind of see this same picture in Isaiah 55, Verse one says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? 
Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. What this, what Isaiah here is, is saying is this idea of, of we, we, we chase after these things that ultimately do not satisfy and they, they might temporarily reduce our hunger. They, they have the effect of reducing this great thirst and this great hunger for God, the only one who really satisfies, but we're just filling up on snacks, keeping it, we're, we're falling into the trap of the Brazilian steakhouse. We're eating this salad that costs them nothing. We're eating this heavenly cheesy bread, which again costs them almost nothing. And then when the thing that ultimately is, is what it's all about comes around, we say, no, I'm, I'm all good. We've numbed our spiritual appetite. John Ortberg, in an article he wrote called Happy Meal Spirituality, said this. That when he would take his children to McDonald's, they always want the same thing. If they get it, the trip is a success, Ortberg writes. If not, it's sheer misery. The odd part is that what they are after is not the food. They want the prize. The prize is a pitiful thing, worth maybe 10 cents. But for the moment, getting it is all that matters. Ortberg goes on to say that this phenomenon is not limited to children. When you get older, he writes, you don't get any smarter. Your Happy Meals just get more expensive. And the real tragedy is for all their cost, they aren't any more satisfying. We hear in Ortberg's observation an echo of the prophet's complaint, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy. Third point, how can I increase my spiritual appetite? One, like most things, asking is a great place to start. Confessing to God, God, I'm not hungry like that. I'm not desperate to know you and to love you and experience you more like that where it's this all-consuming thing where nothing else really matters compared to that. But God, I'd like to be more that way. Would you help me? Would you, by your spirit, increase my appetite? Asking's a great first step. Second thing, like a lot of things, engaging the basics is a great second step. Actively engage the scriptures, pray, confess sin, heal broken relationships, come to church, engaging the basics, also helpful. Third, try something new in your spiritual journey. I would like to take the next few minutes and, and, and give you a short, brief overview of what is fasting all about. Jesus in Matthew 6 it just talks about fasting like it's an assumed part of the life of his followers. He's, he says, he says hey, hey, when you fast, don't go around bragging about how you're fasting. But, but the key word there, Jesus says, when you fast. And, and, and for a lot of us, maybe that just hasn't been a part of, of our tradition uh, or our, our experience, or maybe you've never really understood it. I just wanna give you a high-level overview about fasting. A few things fasting can communicate. One, Fasting says, God, I am or I want to be hungry for you. Fasting says, God, I, I, I am or I want to be hungry for you. It's, it's, this, it's this declaration of either what is true or what you want to be true in your life. God, I am or I want to be hungry for you. Next thing, God, I want you 
more than what I'm giving up. I wanna share with you, there's a bunch of different kinds of fasts. I'm gonna share with you what I think are the four big kinds of fasts. There's what's called a total fast, where, where for a period of time, you're having nothing but water, like a total fast or, or nothing but liquid. And so then whenever you're hungry, which will be all the time, whenever you're hungry, let it remind you to pray. And, and to say, God, I, I want you more than I want the food that I'm giving up. And so whenever you're hungry, let it remind you to pray. The time you would normally spend eating, set it, a time, set it aside for pray. And, and so it's saying, God, I, 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 so there's this idea of a, a total fast. Then there's what's called a Daniel fast, which basically means you're not gonna eat any good food. It's like a trip to your in-laws. Some people thought that was funny, others aren't very good cooks, and uh, it's uh, the idea, we see it in Daniel, where he said that he's not gonna eat the king's choice food, he focuses on, on fruits and vegetables, and so it might be saying, hey, for this period of time, I'm, I'm gonna eliminate this, these pieces of my diet that would actually be a sacrifice. I'm not gonna have any sugar, or I'm not gonna have any bread, or I'm not gonna have any, any meat or cauliflower, and, and so you set aside this, uh, you say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay aside these things, and, and in doing so, you're saying, hi, God, I, 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 I am hungry for you, need you more than I need things. And then so whenever you're like, man, I wish I could have some bread. I wish I, I, I could have this thing. Let it be a reminder to you to pray. And to declare, God, I, I, as much as I love bread, I love you more. And as much as I want some bread, I want more of you more than that. And let it be a reminder for you to pray in those moments. Then there's what's called a daylight fast which is basically just for some period of time, you're, you're, you're not gonna have breakfast and you're not gonna have lunch, you're, you're gonna only have dinner. And so then those, through those times in the day, when you feel hungry, let it be a prompt for you to pray, declare your hunger or desire for hunger for God, and then those times where you would normally be eating, spend those times in prayer. And then there's what's, what we call a distraction fast, where, where it could be that you say, hey, for this season of time, I'm gonna eliminate the, the, the least helpful distractions in my life. A great activity for you would be to go to the person closest to you and say, what activity do I engage in that makes me a worse person? And then they, if you have an honest friend or spouse, they might say, hey, after you watch two hours of news, you're horrible to be around. And then you're like, I wasn't looking for that level of honesty. How about you ask me the question? And they're like, no, I don't, I don't wanna. And, uh, and so that could be saying, hey, for this period of time, I'm not gonna watch the news. For this period of time, I'm gonna be off social media. For this period of time, I'm not gonna do this, a distraction fast. And, and so I, I wanna challenge all of us over these next 21 days to engage in at least one of these at some level. And, and I, in addition to... Um, to uh, the other aspects of this series, this spiritual journey that we're trying to set the tone for 2023 on, in addition to being here on Sundays and engaging the devotionals, uh, we're going to encourage as many of us as are able on the next couple of Wednesdays to do a daylight fast where we're gonna have breakfast, we won't have lunch, and, in those, and as we're hungry, we let it remind us to pray. In those times we would normally spend eating, we spend praying. And then on Wednesday, like I said, we're gonna meet here at six. We'll break our fast together with some tacos. And then at 6.30, we'll have a time of worship and prayer. I'd encourage as many of us as can to engage that. Here's the third thing fasting says. 
Fasting can say, God, I need you more than what I'm giving up. It's, uh, and then we see this story Jesus tells in, in Matthew 17. Now the disciples are trying to cast this demon out that, that they find themselves unable to do it. And then Jesus says, these kind come out only with prayer and fasting. So what fasting can be is a declaration of God, I desperately need your power in my life more than what I'm giving up. Fasting can be a way of saying this. Fasting can be a way of saying I'm broken for my city, for my state, or for my nation. We see this in the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah chapter one kicks off where Nehemiah gets word that, that Jerusalem's been destroyed, the wall has been torn down, people have gone into exile, all the things are terrible with their nation in all the ways. And, and then here's how it says. It says, as soon as I heard these words, I formed a political action committee. As soon as I heard these words, I went on social media and talked how bad, talked about how bad everyone that disagreed with me was. Or it goes the other way, let's see how it goes. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. What if every time in the last 20 years, Christian has gotten mad about politics, went on social media, and went on a rant. What if instead they cried and fasted and prayed? Maybe it would have been more effective. I don't know. What do you guys think? This feels more awkwardly tense than it did first service. And, uh, but fasting can be a way of saying, God, I'm broken for my city, for my state, for my nation. Fasting can be a way of expressing repentance. Fasting can be a way of saying, God, I'm sorry. Jonah chapter three, we see this. Jonah goes and he preaches to the most wicked empire in the world had ever seen, the Assyrian empire. And he goes through and he says, and he says this, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It says the Ninevites, the most wicked people alive, they believed God and they knew enough, they, they fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Fasting can also be appropriate if you're in a moment where you just don't know what else to do. You're like, God, I don't even know what else to do. We've seen the story of, the, of Saul who would become the apostle Paul. He's in the business of killing Christians. He's on a road to go and persecute more Christians. Jesus appears to Saul on this road. And then it says that, that we see in the, in the end there. It says, uh, Saul got up from the ground but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So he's had this moment where he, he was in the business of killing Christians. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And now he's blind. They walk him somewhere. He doesn't even know what else to do. And in a moment where he didn't know what else to do is he fasted and prayed. Big picture is this, fasting can be feasting on God. Fasting can be a declaration of God, I am hungry for you. And it could be a declaration of saying, God, I want to be more hungry for you. I wanna have that kind of desperate hunger that Jesus talks about. I wanna have that desperate thirst that David says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for the, that's, that's, I don't have that kind of hunger and thirst, but I want to have it. It can be a great 
practice. And so I wanna challenge all of us. Let's engage this next 21 days as a spiritual journey, setting the tone for 2023. Don't miss a Sunday if you can. Engage the daily devotional. Try a form of fasting, whatever, whatever you feel led to do. Try a form of fasting, and then let's come together on Wednesdays, and let's break our fast together. Let's have a time of worship and prayer and just asking God, saying, God, I'm hungry for you, and I wanna be more hungry for you, to know you more, to experience you more, and to love you more. Let's pray. So, Father, that is our prayer. That is our declaration. Lord, we do ask that by your spirit, you would increase our spiritual appetite, that we would all grow in this hunger and thirst, this desperate desire to know, love, and experience you more. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.